Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. As you can see, our call to confession this morning is not a proverb. Uh, We're taking a break between chapters 21 and chapters 22, well, chapters 21 and 22 of Proverbs to look at the Ten Commandments. And today before us we see the first of the Ten Commandments. Our Lord gave this law to the Israelites as a gift of grace when he delivered them from the land of Egypt. This word, the first commandment, is foundational. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the context is valuable also. God reveals himself as a personal God. He is your God. He reveals himself as a deliverer. He is the God who delivers from bondage and slavery. And out of gratitude for this deliverance, our duty to him first is bound up in placing him first in all things in all areas, in all of life. He is God and there is no other. This means that we must not place hope or faith in anything less than Him. He is God, He is sovereign, and He can deliver. We may not trust in riches, in men, or in idols. God is reality and truth. He is judge and executioner. He is power and might. And he is a jealous God. The first commandment is the great commandment. All of the rest are descriptive. All the rest of the commandments explain how we are to fulfill this one. But this one is absolute. God is God. He has revealed himself. And men are to fall down before him in worship. Because that is what he created us for. That said, he is good and generous and kind. His gifts are real and rich and free. His life is exuberant and deep and wide. And his will is for the blessing of his people in obedience. And the story of the earth is the story of the fulfillment of his will. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins in prayer. The text we're covering today is Paul's only sermon recorded for us in which he addresses a specifically Christian audience. We've heard him uh, address the mixed crowd of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue at Antioch and Pisidia. 
Back in chapter 13, we heard him address the Gentiles in Athens and the Areopagus in chapter 17. He comforted and ministered to the churches he had planted before, all through his second and third missionary journeys, but we don't have those sermons, those messages recorded for us. Last week we saw him that he preached in Troas, but this is the only recorded sermon we have given to us where Paul specifically addresses believers. He, he is addressing the elders from the church in Ephesus. Of course, we know much about his teachings to Christians and from various places in his, his epistles to them, but here we have a transcript of a sermon that Luke records for us. There's much here, and I've divided the message into two parts. So we're covering the first part this week, and we'll cover the second part of the sermon next week. And as, we'll see, as we're going to see, this first part focuses on Paul's witness and his vindication. And next week, we're going to see how he warns and encourages the church as he bids them farewell. So now we come to the text. Paul... Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's left Ephesus. He's traveled into Greece, and he's come back down to the, the western coast of Turkey. And he, he, uh, he calls the Ephesian elders to come down to Miletus, which is 30 miles south of Ephesus, to give them parting instructions. And he, he purposely, we just read that he purposely skipped Ephesus because he didn't want to get held up there. He didn't want to get stuck in Ephesus because he knew that if he'd go there, he'd get held up. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sail past it. Even though I'm going to have to have these guys travel 30 miles south to hear this message, I'm going to have to wait for them to come there. It's, it's going to save me time in the long run. Because he's trying to make it to Jerusalem for the, past, uh, for the, for the Pentecost feast. So Acts 20, verses 17 to 21. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here addresses the elders of the church, and he starts by telling them what they know. He says, you know from the first day that I came to Asia. That he's telling them what they know. They know that Paul lived in front of them and with them. He had dwelt with them for three years. He ministered to them daily. He ministered to them publicly. Remember he, earlier when we were studying his, his ministry in Ephesus, how he spent three months daily in the synagogue. And after that, that, when the Jews hardened their hearts, he went and taught daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he, he ministered to them publicly, daily, and he ministered to them privately, from house to house, is what he says here. He was close to this people, these people. He prayed with them and for them. He brought them the gospel. He was there when the Jews plotted against him. He was there when Demetrius stirred up the, the worshippers of Diana against him. These elders know his past sufferings. They, they've been witnesses of the miracles that he had performed in, in Ephesus. 
They know, they know who he is and how he works and what he's like. They know his manner of life. They know his humility and his tears and his trials. And they know that he did not refrain from teaching or preaching anything useful. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. He did not back off of the truth of the gospel. And he tells us right here what that gospel is. His message was consistent. He wasn't bashful about the truth. Um, And these gospels knew that, so his message was consistent. He always preached repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. He taught the same gospel for both Jews and for Greeks. Jesus is always the answer. Mankind has a dilemma. Mankind has a problem. We sin. We suffer because of our sin. We have consequences. Because Adam ate that apple in the garden, we all die. All the consequences of sin are are, are deaths. They're, They're little deaths. They're sufferings. They're they're pictures of what rejection of God's plan is. And so mankind has this problem, and God intervened in our world and sent Jesus to suffer with us and to bear our burdens for us so that we could now have peace with God. In order for us to receive the gospel, the good news, the salvation that God has for us, we need humility. We need to repent before a sovereign God. And it doesn't matter if we're Jews. It doesn't matter if we're Greeks. It doesn't matter if we're Americans or Chinese or Africans. It doesn't matter who we are. We are all men. And we all need the blood of Christ to atone for our sin. And that repentance toward God points us to Jesus Christ who reveals God to us. So Paul believed this. And Paul proclaimed this. He preached this. And he lived this in front of them. That's why he's telling them what they know. What they know is how he lived. And how he lived was his message. His life fit his words. Paul lived this in front of them. He's making an argument to them on the, based on every fiber of his being. His message is connected to who he is. Because his past witness is the message. And next we see that his message is ongoing. He's brought his message. He's planted a church in Ephesus. But his message doesn't stop there. He has more work to do. He has more preaching, more proclamation, more living. Paul is on a mission from God, and his mission is not done until he's dead. So we read verses 22 to 25. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So a couple things here. First, Paul knows that further suffering awaits him. It has been prophesied. He goes bound in the spirit. He's, he's convicted that his mission is to go to Jerusalem. And he's, it's been prophesied in every city. Paul has just been traveling from Ephesus into every city, north and down into to Corinth and back up to Philippi and over to Troas and down. And every city, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's, he's, he's building up and encouraging the saints. And there's prophecies being made about how he's going to be suffering there. He's going to say, he says, chains and tribulations await me. So Paul knows that suffering awaits him, and this is a witness to the Ephesians that he's not abandoning them to go take it easy. He's not, he's not ditching them to live life and suffer for, to, 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 for the high life. He's not, he's not going on sabbatical. He's, he's on a mission. This, he's furthering his mission. Second, Paul is stalwart in his determination to fulfill his calling. None of these things move me. Not even preserving his life is dear to him as long as, as long as he finishes what he started. As long as Jesus is glorified in him. As long as he testifies to the gospel. So that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What gospel? The grace of God. So as long as Paul is proclaiming God's love, his grace, he's okay with whatever God has for him because he knows he's being honest before God. And then finally Paul says he knows that this is a goodbye sermon. This is a farewell. Paul's engaged in a parting with his beloved friends. He has been in the trenches with these men for years. He's endured and suffered with them. Life-threatening things. And, and they've, they've lived in fellowship and community, and they've borne their, each other's burdens. They, they care immensely for each other. And he knows that he's about to leave. And all of this goes to show that the gospel is vital. So he's preaching the gospel of grace. But what this passage here, this section here, where he's talking about his current mission, is showing us that the gospel has traction in the here and now. It's vital. Paul's past message is consistent with his current mission. The story that was told is an ongoing story. So like Paul, we don't just read a story and say, wow, great story, what's next? That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a story that says, this is who you are, this is where you are, and this is what God expects you to do. This is present. This is for the here and now. And the story of the gospel is imminently unfinished and ongoing. The message of Christ is a message of God's intervention in history, and it invites us 
to take part in writing the story. In Christ, we become the body of Christ. In Christ, Christ works in us. In Christ, the story is being written. And as we partake in that story writing, as we believe in faith, as we do what God calls us to do, we learn that God is saving us. We learn that we may know that we are in the process of salvation. We have proof of salvation as we see in Paul's testimony, verses 26 and verse tw verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is innocent. Think about the peace that he has as a minister of God, knowing that before God, he is free from accusation. I am innocent of the blood of all men, Paul says. God will hold Paul guiltless in the work that he has been given because he doesn't back away from every word that God puts in his mouth, including the hard things. But he embraces every bit of life that God has given to him. Moreover, Paul explains his innocence and the fact that he's been honest with God's message. He knows in his heart of hearts that he has not put his candle under a bushel. He hasn't buried his light under the bed. He's shown it on the hill. He's proclaimed it to the best of his ability for the sake of his audience. For the sake of any man who would listen and hear that God loves them and died for them and will save them if only they will repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Paul has proclaimed that in every way that he can imagine. He's been honest with God's message. And we learn here that the gospel is not easy. It brings division. Jesus sets the world on fire. Fire burns. It hurts. There are parts that are easy. Free grace. Forgiveness of sins. Those are easy. Those are sweet. Those are blessings. But there are parts that are hard. The gospel teaches that our God does not and will not and will never tiptoe around sin. He obliterates sin. He consumes it. There are no other gods before him. Salvation requires both the grace and the fire of God. But when you live the gospel, your life becomes a life of sacrifice. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. In Paul's witness, we see that Paul is stoned. 
He's shipwrecked. He's beaten. He's whipped. He's conspired against. He's attacked. And he suffers. Ultimately, he dies in Rome. And that brings us to our application. And that's that witness means suffering. What witness is it if there is no suffering? You know, even unbelievers love those who love them. If somebody's nice to you, it's easy to be nice back. But Jesus says, love your enemies. When we see and we look at the history of the world, what we see is that those who believe the gospel and take up their cross and follow Jesus embrace the way of the cross. They embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel. Remember Paul says, as long as, as long as the gospel of grace is being testified by me. For the sake of the gospel, Christians take the long view. We look to heaven. We look for the joy that is set before us. Christians believe the gospel truth. And it's easy to believe because it's true. God's judgment is true. God's creation is true. Jesus coming and living and dying and being raised from the dead are true. God's grace is true. And God's grace is eternal. And so that means as we embrace suffering, we do it in hope. In Christ, death is passing and suffering is temporary. Following Christ, even to death, is worthwhile. It's not a waste of effort. It's not a waste of time. So what that means for us is, is how we should... We, we have some teaching here about how do we handle suffering. The essence of salvation is simple. Repentance before God. God loves a humble heart. A contrite heart. The essence of salvation is humility. The manner of Paul's life among the Ephesians. Serving the Lord with all humility. With, any, with many tears and trials. God loves a contrite heart. And he loves a humble, penitent believer. So, what that means for us is that we must accept what God has given to us. Your circumstances are your circumstances by His design. Who you are and what you have and what you suffer, God has given to you. We are not permitted to rail against Him. We're not commit, permitted to criticize Him or to complain against Him. He's God. It's not okay to be bitter or to be envious of others who seem to have it better or to be angry because life is hard. No, we must be contrite. We must turn to God with soft hearts and in peace seek His deliverance and His strength. Read the last few chapters of Job. 
Where were you when I did this? What is your strength? Save yourself if you're going to do this. Particularly in chapter 42, Job responds to God's answer. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I have for myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here's Job, the one man that God uses as an example before Satan and says, look how righteous Job is. No man like him in the world. And God allows Satan to test him. And Job falls before God in repentance. The most righteous man on the earth in repentance and in ashes. So suffering is part of the Christian life. But that doesn't mean we're left without hope in suffering. Because the gospel, comes from the Greek word evangelion, which means good news, means that suffering is not without hope. God promises life to the penitent. He promises to redeem. He promises to save. He promises grace to the believer. He promises himself, his spirit, which he gives to us. And by His Spirit, we can overcome evil with good in this world. It's, it's a path of suffering, and yet it's a path of grace. By His Spirit, we can have a spiritual response to suffering. We can be fruitful. We can have the fruit of the Spirit in life, in, in our hard lives. We can live in community. We can live in peace. We can love our neighbors self-sacrificially. In reality, we can learn to be like Jesus and to have His life. And on the ground, that means that we should be long-suffering, patient, and have peace. Wisdom teaches that we live by faith and trust our God through our lives. All that said, witness means suffering. But all that said, we're not robots. We're not stoics. We don't do it by setting our jaw. We're not flint-faced. Flint we're not hard-headed. We're not just going to let everything bounce off of us. We're not, we're not bronze statues. Ministry is emotional. Witness means suffering, but ministry is emotional. It's immediate. Our God is in our presence. Ministry grabs our hearts. God is here. He suffers with us. Jesus wept. Jesus cried out to God. Jesus bled. God is with us, He's present, and His gospel is not outside of us. It's not distinctly other. God wants to be with us. He, he desires our hearts. He desires our emotions. He wants us to care. He wants us to love. In verse 19, Paul ministers with tears. In verse 24, we see that he's hopeful because he's seeking to finish his race with joy. There's rejoicing. In the gospel. Paul's eager to serve God. He's eager because he believes the gospel. He has a desire to win, to finish the race well. In verse 25, Paul is sorrowful because he knows he won't be seeing their faces anymore. 
His ministry has been tearful. This message is tearful. So, we are not robots. God is here, and God expects His people to live by faith. That means we must live. The gospel is vital. We must embrace life. That reaches into the present. The Word of God is living and powerful. We need to live in the Word. We need to live by the Word. And that means we need to use the Word as we ask. What's next? The story isn't over. What we're saying when we say what's next is, how do we write this story faithfully according to God's will? We need to be bound in the Spirit like Paul was. We need to know mission. We need to be engaged in ministry. That doesn't mean we all need to be preachers or elders or deacons. Ministry is service. All of us are called to a ministry in our own place. We're all parts of the body of Christ, and each part has its own function. We need to find our life in that calling. We need to engage in ministry. Don't be cold and distant. We're not robots. We're not statues. God wants us to be hot and vibrant, not lukewarm. He wants to be all up in your face. Get involved. Take risks for God. And when we decide to live that way, we can know the peace that He gives us in the Gospel. Because the whole counsel of God sets us free. Don't be afraid of the Word. Embrace Jesus. Embrace the Gospel. Embrace your path. Embrace God's will. His hard things are ultimately soft. They're ultimately life. His justice and His discipline are rooted in love because God disciplines His sons. And discipline brings peace and life. And faithfulness to God's Word brings assurances of salvation. With Paul, we'll be able to live our lives without regrets, knowing that we have been honest and faithful with the word he has given to us, proclaiming the gospel by word and by witness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let us pray. And God has sent the good news of salvation. And this is the message of Scripture. He has delivered men from their sins by the grace of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Mankind is now able to have peace with his Maker. God has drawn us into himself, and in him we are purified and united to him. We have been given life and peace and place over all things in Jesus Christ. And this table is a memorial in which we celebrate and rejoice in the deliverance God has given to us. But do not take this lightly. 
This salvation comes at a price. Jesus suffered and died. And his life is our example, and we must go forward willing to embrace the calling that God has placed on us. We must bear our crosses doing his work. But in faith, we will persevere to the glorious end that God has for us. And we will see our God face to face on the basis of our Lord's merit and his love and his grace. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.